Hey everyone. First of all, apologies for the sound quality on Davidson, my part. I discovered right after we recorded that we accidentally used my laptop's microphone instead of our Blue Yeti. So David and I don't sound as great. Sade sounds amazing, because unlike us, he checks his mic like a pro. Um, it's still listenable. Uh, it sounds how I sound right now, because I am using the laptop's microphone. But it's not as crisp as I would like it to be, so my apologies for that. Second, I'm adding some trigger warnings. We do touch upon child sexual assault and child abuse, but we also talk about suicides and acts that would typically be seen as suicidal attempts, but they're not in the book. We do explain it better in the episode. It's just, it would take too long to explain, but if any of this makes you feel uncomfortable, please feel free to skip this episode. That's all I need to say, so continue with the show. We say, not today, Satan. But then we realize we're gonna go to hell anyway, so um I'm one of your hosts, Kayla King. Um, I'm joined by my other two awesome co-hosts, Sade. Hi. I'm yeah, we're gonna get into it. <laughs> and my other co-host, David. I mean, I know people always say the devil made me do it, but this is ridiculous. <sighs> <laughs> So we just finished Imaginary Friend by Stephen Chabowski. We're going to talk about it. <laughs> because we have to. <laughs> because we have to. Because we must. Um, yeah, we we never say we don't finish what we start here on Darkly Lit. I mean, that's not always true. <laughs> yeah, I can't say that. I've dipped out of books. I I wanted to be like, guys, I'm out. I, I've never done such a 180 on a book before. I'll be curious to know where specifically it hit you, but we'll, we'll get into that. Oh, it's in my notes. When I do the summary, I'll probably point okay. it out. Sade, why don't you give the summary for the rest of the book? When we last left our... People. People. Christopher and Kate had been trying to leave the city, or, or town, sorry. Trying yes. to leave town, uh, and, but Mary Catherine was speeding and hit them to avoid a deer. That's where we left off. Yes. What happens after that? All right, all right. I'm going to dive into my notes, and uh, they may get more and more vague as we get closer to the end of the book. So <laughs> That sounds about right. So, after the car crash, Chris wakes up in the hospital on the imaginary side, and he finds Bad Cat on the TV, and then as the voice of the doctor that comes in threatening to cut out his tongue if he doesn't tell them where the nice man is hiding. But Christopher genuinely doesn't know. Uh, so then posing as Christopher's mother, the hissing lady tries to trick him, but he genuinely doesn't know. 
meanwhile, Kate wakes up in the hospital as well and goes, uh, she's got some broken ribs. She goes looking for Chris in the ICU. She is told he is brain dead. Oh no. But she knows that he's like trapped in the imaginary world. Um, and she has to like stay with him, but like the orderlies and the doctors are like itching with the flu and they kind of, she knows she has to keep her cool so that she can stay at Christopher's side. Uh, meanwhile, the sheriff has been falling asleep and forgetting everything. So he keeps waking up and like trying to re-remember David's name and like what the tools were for, for. They were like children's tools who have been like building tree houses. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself right there. But yeah, he's like trying to figure out what the tools are and he, so he just keeps remembering what, why, and essentially David. So he's like leaving notes for himself on his arms each time. And so when he wakes up, he starts seeing the notes again. Uh, so there's just this repeated cycle of, like, keeping him away from Kate and Chris, because he knows he has to go help them. But then Miss Henderson shows up, uh, and they have a little shootout, because she is doing the bidding of the hissing lady now. So they had a little fun shootout. Yay, them. Uh, meanwhile, the nice man saves Chris, on the imaginary side, the nice man saves Christopher from the hospital. They escape through some kind of laundry chute that takes them to the woods, but Chris can't go back through the treehouse because his body is dying back in the hospital. Um, where Kate is trying to get a hold of the sheriff, calling him just as he's being rolled in with gunshot wounds, uh, but Kate learns that Ambrose is in the hospital and she is able to read the rest of David's journal to him. Um, meanwhile, back in the imaginary, because we keep going back and forth, uh, nice man is telling Christopher that he has to kill the hissing lady, and that's, like, the only way to stop her and to get her key. Uh, and that Chris is becoming God. Uh, but he has to be humble about it, because that's where, uh, David, uh, failed. He couldn't be humble about becoming God. Uh, then we get a whole chapter with Jerry, finally. Uh, where he's, like, almost finding out where Kate and uh, Christopher are, because he keeps almost seeing a newspaper or a TV report or something. Uh, but he eventually does get, like, the pin pal balloons that the kids sent out, so he goes to track down Kate. Uh, there's a little star note here that says, feeling dragged out and losing interest in my notes. <laughs> After that, Special Ed goes to Chuck E. Cheese on Christmas Eve and watches a clown named Uncle Happy, which is the worst clown name ever, <laughs> uh, shoot himself in front of all the children, and Special Ed takes the bullets from the clown's bags. Now he is armed and ready. Matt wakes up during the night with his brother missing, finds that he was sleepwalking into the woods and slashing tractor tires to stop them from reaching the treehouse, and so he helps him. Uh, back at the hospital, Brady thinks his grandma is talking to him and tells him to kill Special Ed first before Special Ed kills him. Great. Uh, Ms. Collins takes Brady back home, but puts him back outside in the doghouse. Uh, Brady comes back in anyway and tries to stab his mom, but then isn't trying to stab her and instead is like, here, mom, put some makeup on. And Miss Collins is like, I want to feel pretty again. Oh, but my insides, they'll never be pretty. I need to drink this paint. So she drinks paint. Then the nice man and Chris are looking for the hissing lady on the imaginary side. Uh, they eventually go to the place you don't remember in your nightmares because that's where she's hiding. And the nice man gets impaled on some antlers and Chris follows them deeper into the woods. 
Uh, but the hissing lady is calling everyone she's been influencing on the real side to the woods. So special Ed, Brady, Jenny, uh, Jenny's brother Doug, Miss Lasco, and pretty much the whole town, except for some reason everybody in the hospital. Uh, because Mary Catherine wakes up in the hospital after the crash, and she finally tells her parents that she's pregnant, but there's no father, and so they think she's crazy, and she gets moved to the psych ward. Uh, meanwhile, Miss Henderson, uh, after shooting the sheriff, goes back to retrieve a weekend bag that she packed and hid in the school library, just in case her husband asked her if she wanted to go away for a weekend. Uh, and her getaway bag, uh, sounds a lot like my getaway bag. A butcher knife, duct tape, rope, zippers, thread, needles, and 300 yards of black fabric. <laughs> um, uh, but then it's also revealed that, uh, well, she won, she reveals that, uh, David was never helping them. It was her that was, like, leaving the, the clues in the Frankenstein book. Jerry shows up and she's like, yeah, the school records are over there. Whatever. In the nightmare place, Chris follows David into the woods because he thinks he has to save him. Uh, and we discover there are generations worth of kids that have been building the tree houses. That's all I wrote there. Uh, in the hospital, Chris's brain is cooking from a fever. Uh, Kate and Ambrose go to the sheriff's room and learn the, about the gen all the tree houses. Uh, then there's some note about kids with ice cream. <laughs> Demented ice cream truck. They realize that David's journal was a, uh, has a coded message. Kate has to go to the secret message left behind for Ambrose in David's bookshelf that happens to be Christopher's bookshelf now. So she takes Ambrose's car to her house. Uh, meanwhile, every, almost everyone in town is at the treehouse, um, and uh, with Miss Henderson's help, they are all sewing their own mouths and eyes shut, and then hanging themselves on the big tree. I think I left out that there's this big giant tree that has all of the, I think all the tree houses from, or all the house, yeah, tree houses, but just the houses from over the years on them, like Christmas decorations. Was that what it? Because I, mm -hmm. yeah, that sounds about okay. Right. The big fucked up Christmas tree. Yeah. Uh, so Chris finds a tree with all the tree houses hanging on. Okay, yeah, I, that was the next line. I just needed to look at the next page. Uh, was trying to save David and the nice man uh, and then tries to escape from his own tree house. But the hissing lady catches him who tries to put him into the tree. Uh, and then the cloud reminds him he's God and he charges at the hissing lady with the knife that the nice man gave him earlier at this point it's like the book is like it's six minutes to midnight and i checked the audio that was how long the audio was left and it was six hours of audio left and i was like fuck my life <laughs> <laughs> that is what my note says at six minutes to midnight six hours of audio left and then all caps fml <laughs> so that's when i the book lost me with uh, Nice Man's help, Chris eventually pushes the hissing lady onto the street. Kate finds the message from David that says not to kill the hissing lady because she's the only thing stopping the devil. What a twist. Mm. Um, <laughs> so surprise, uh, the nice man is the devil. Chris realizes nice man is bad. Uh, he pulls the hissing lady off the street with David's help. Uh, and he escapes with the key and David's help. Uh, Chris wakes up in the hospital. 
everybody wants to kill him now who are being controlled by the nice man, not the hissing lady, because apparently the nice man made the hissing lady look evil and, like, everything the hissing lady was doing was actually the nice man. But he's rescued by the sheriff and Ambrose, who for a hot second pretend to be uh, also controlled, but Chris heals them and they get away. So Kate, back at the house, tricks Jerry. Jerry shows up. He was there at the house. Uh, Shows up. And she tricks Jerry into helping her get back to the hospital in time to pick up Chris, the sheriff, in Ambrose. Uh, and then as they're driving, they just kind of boot Jerry out of the back of the truck. <laughs> <laughs> Unceremonious, you just punch Jerry out of the back of the truck. <laughs> yep. I, I will say that actually is probably one of the best parts in that book. I did think that was really funny. Just like, whoop, bye. <laughs> so long, Jerry. Because I was, there was a part of me that was wondering, how how are they going to get rid of Jerry? Whoop, bye. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay. I appreciate mm-hmm. this book. I was hoping that, like, the convoy that of cars that was following them would, like, run him over. But no, he rolls out to the side and picks up a ride with them. So, uh, yeah, they're being chased by a bunch of cars. Pretty much everyone in town is chasing them. Meanwhile, Matt, Mike, and Ed... Uh, we're trying to defend the treehouse, but they fucked up, and so then they got their eyes and mouths stitched, too, so that sucks. Uh, Mary Catherine, meanwhile, was taken from the psych ward by her parents to church so that she could be stoned. Her parents and Doug kind of come to her senses and save her, and she's able to get away in Doug's car. I have a note here. She probably's gonna give the nice man a body or birth the Antichrist or something. Was my note there. <laughs> uh, Chris and company are trying to get out of town, but they keep getting blocked and they're being chased by a whole bunch of scary deer. Mary Catherine, finally free of her Catholic guilt, I guess, drives into the deer. Which I guess I I guess I kinda appreciated that moment. Yeah. Uh, she drives into the deer to save them, but they still end up in the woods. Uh, Ambrose shit my notes got messy because i did not give a fuck anymore ambrose lured away uh bobby takes gunshots from ed and brady to protect chris and his mom uh kate still gets shot after and dies uh chris saves her though and gives her like a super happy nap time while also giving her all of his powers and then goes into the treehouse on the other side to protect his mom uh, from the nice man. Meanwhile, Ambrose and the sheriff are stuck in their own little nightmare loops. Uh, Kate is also stuck in one. I'm not going to go into what those nightmare loops are. Like, cause... Okay, fine. Ambrose is uh, try- like watching David leave the house and then bury himself alive. So that's a reveal. Da- David bury himself alive. Uh, and then Bobby's watching the little girl die over and over. The girl with the painted nails. Uh, so Kate is in the... Also her own little nightmare where she's like married to Jerry. I'm sorry, girl. And then also Chris isn't in her life an- or anymore because he grew up and was like, it's me or Jerry, mom. But she snaps out of it when she like opens some letters and there's one from like Chris and she figures out what's happening that she's stuck in this loop. Nice man takes Chris to kill Hissing Lady, but he can't because he gave his power away to his mom uh, and as they realize, or as the nice man realizes this, Kate shows up and fights him. So I got that. I got Kate kicking ass, at least. Meanwhile, Chris runs away and finds his dad in his own hell, but frees him. And that starts a chain of, like, all of the mailbox people being freed. 
Uh, the sheriff is freed uh, by the little dead girl, telling her, like, that it's fine. And Ambrose is also freed. The sheriff, fi- when he wakes up, he finds the milk carton girl who was apparently dead as an also a mailbox person. Talk about an anticlimax for Emily Burdovich. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wrote no point next to this note. <laughs> Essentially, all the mailbox people are freed. Ambrose gets a nice uh, moment. He gets to, like, he meets David. So then Chris shows up to help Kate with an army of freed mailbox people. Uh, but that wasn't enough, because they still have to run to the tree to escape, but then they lose the key for a while. But then Ambrose and David sacrifice themselves to, I guess, buy time. But that's okay, because they went to heaven together. And then I don't remember if they got the key, but I know the sheriff and Kate get through. Chris, like, throws his mom through, because he knows the nice man is going to reach him before both of them can get through. But that's okay. Because David is his own key, he realizes, and is like, goes through and leaves the nice man behind. But the nice man is able to get at least into the treehouse on the physical side, but they're burning it. And then the nice, or the hissing lady, pulls him back into the other side. They kind of have a little moment where they fight, but then she's like, now you can kill me. And she just like, poofs. And she goes to God, who's her father. And she's Eve. So she's actually Eve. And so the la- the nice man, I don't know why I keep calling him the nice man. He's Satan. Satan's left alone. And nobody will listen to his bullshit anymore. Everyone on the, on the real side is happy now. But then he's like watching Mary Catherine. This is the epilogue at this point. He's watching Mary Catherine and tells her she's going to have a son. So interpret that part however you will. The end! Thank you for that. Yeah. Really? I'm sorry, that was such a mess. No, no, because the ending is a mess. Let's be real. I, okay, I don't hate the book. I do. Sorry. Fine. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know how to feel. I, that's, I don't hate it, but at the same time, I never want to read this book again. The book earned a lot of its earlier parts, but it did not stick the landing. Yes. No. At all. No. Did anyone else feel like there the state there were no real stakes at the end because it felt like they would build to some climax and then people would get hurt and then people would run away and the injuries or pain that they went through didn't actually matter because no one could die and like no one actually died in this except I guess Ambrose because Ambrose and David went to heaven at the end and the hissing lady kind of died but like she. She got welcomed into God's warm kitchen. Mm -hmm. God apologized to her. So that was it supposed to be like this? I wondered if it was like this thing about God being fallible, which is like. No, she apologized to him. I assume for eating the apple. I don't know. But the impression I got was that God apologized to her for making her feel like she had to do this. I thought she was the one apologizing. I don't know. I re-listened to that auto, that part. I had to keep going back because I was like, I'm sorry, what? That was the only thing that I thought was maybe kind of interesting because I, I, I hate in books when God gets involved and it's very, very clearly defined as like the Judeo-Christian God. Mm-hmm. But the one silver lining for me was like, okay, and God apologized. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of I'm different. pretty sure she was the one apologizing. I'm gonna find that part because like... So, please look that up. Because we know she volunteered. They specify at one point that she volunteered to serve in that place. Yes. 
You're right. She volunteered to basically be a keeper of hell or the warden of hell or whatever. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Yeah, sorry. You know, please come home. You've done enough. Your father misses you so much. And then, I'm sorry for what I did, she said. I know you are. I'm sorry, too, he said. Oh, okay. And in classic thing, God is never wrong. Isn't that the whole point? Mm-hmm. With this, these religions, God never is never wrong about stuff because God is infallible. This is God being fallible, and I'm okay with that. The only line that I appreciated in this book, I think, like at the end of this, is when they said something like, when you kill in the name of God, you're servicing the devil. Yeah, because that, that comes up later when the nice man is basically feeding, still trying to feed poison into everybody's ears. Yeah, and yeah. And it's everything that kind of got repeated back to him because... They're trying to make a big point of like, oh, he'll never really escape because his mouth and eyes are are sewn shut and mm-hmm. he'll never, he's the keeper of his own hell. And I'm like, but what? But what indeed? You know what cracks me up? This whole thing was about a thread and I feel like the book lost the thread, or at least for <laughs> me it did. A part of me wonders, have we read too much creepypasta? Because I will say that whole Chuck E. Cheese chapter, I was just like, oh, God, no. (laughs) Okay, Okay, there were a lot of instances where we commented like, oh, this part felt like a creepypasta, right? And we're just like, ha ha ha, what? Because we read too many creepypastas or we unfortunately have that background. So like 30 minutes before we started recording, someone messaged me and was like, and this is like minutes after I'd finished the book because I had to drag myself through it right up until the end. And someone messaged me, hey, how are you doing? And I was like, I'm about to go on a podcast and complain about a book. And so they asked me about the book. And I told them, it is a super, super long creepypasta that kept, yes, anding itself. And that was, like, the only way I could, like, without spilling into a rant, tell them mm-hmm. about this book. I thought the whole point was midnight, Christmas Day. That was the mm-hmm. end of it. And then it spilled mm-hmm. past that and kept going. And they kept having things that felt like final confrontations, but then they weren't. And then it kept yeah. going. And then it kept going. And I just, like, you're... You've burned your goodwill for me. I, there's no horror when their stakes don't feel like they matter. Like, yeah, why did ma- why did midnight matter then? It didn't matter. Also, what was up with the whole two thirty two a.m. thing? Yeah, yeah, that's right. You no, know, there's like a whole lot of like little details that like never get addressed or explained, and sometimes that's fine. Like blue moon. Like blue moon. Like why a street? Why can't she go on the street? Like it, they do say, oh, he created the street. But isn't like. Didn't he create all of hell? I guess tech, I don't know. I thought that the twist was going to be the hissing lady is just the guardian of hell and it's her job to keep the, I mean, that's true. She's the guardian of hell. It's her job to keep the nice man in there. But I just thought she was some kind of demon or some other thing. And I thought that she was just as flawed and also kind of evil. Think about, oh, the hissing lady was nice the whole time and all those things that that where she said things were just misunderstandings and, and things being twisted by the by the nice man it doesn't work that well because she does we see her physically do terrible things to christopher this isn't like a oh no he secretly no we witnessed her like kidnap him yeah we saw her say we're gonna cut out your tongue this isn't a like oh maybe he could no we actually see her do these things it's physically said in the book she does this so making her seem like actually she's god's daughter or whatever is actually good. I'm like, no, mm-mm, mm-mm. I, I don't buy that. Yeah, no, it, it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. And I think the thing I'm most angry about, or I think because the thing that makes, or uh, uh, so much rage, <laughs> 
We were all so on board with this book for the first episode of this. Yeah, it was built up very well. Yeah. I don't know what happened. I think if we, ha- if I hadn't started out enjoying the book and, like, being like, oh, shit, I might buy a copy of this if it, like, stays this good. Like, I don't think I would hate it as much now if I had enjoyed the beginning. Like, if I had started the book and be like, oh, this one's not going to be for me. I think if by the time we reached the end, I would have been like, yeah, I didn't like it. But, like, I am infuriated. <laughs> I'm getting my Audible credit back. Okay, let me bring up the things I do like. I do like the fact that Kate actually is given a, a godlike powers and starts to kick the nice man's ass. I'm like, yes, this is what I wanted. I wanted to see Kate kick some ass. And that's what I got. And I'm we, we very happy that. about that. I mean, briefly. It, it almost came, briefly. It, it, it almost came too late because when they had the fights, like, they tackled each other. They fit and they fought and they were throwing each other around. But it still doesn't feel like it has any stakes because no one takes any real lasting this, damage. This is the shitty part about it. Like, all this horrible things happen to the town, but it doesn't matter. Like, there was a part of me that's like, oh, shit, Mrs. Collins died. And that's a great scene, too. What a horrifying, like, nightmare of her being like, I can never change myself. I'm always going to be ugly. And then she pours paint down her throat. And you're like, oh, shit. I thought she died. Yeah. I actually was like, what a way to die. And she does it. And she's fine. And I'm like. The whole hell on earth thing about, you know, everybody living forever, but always suffering. Just, I don't know if it came across that well in the book. It didn't. Mm-mm. Well, because we know people have died, like Emily or Chris's dad, and they were still in their, like, loops suffering. Mm-hmm. So, like, why couldn't they just die and suffer there? Why did they have to suffer in the real world? It wouldn't have made a difference. Shuffle some characters out of the equation to make it feel like it has some weight, like people can be lost. Not just, like, heroic sacrifices like Ambrose, because... By the way, we never do see also, what happened to Ambrose's physical body in the real world. Yeah. We can presume he's dead, but... But also, Ambrose was, like, in his 90s, and he had also said, like, my wife's gone, I miss her, I'm just waiting for death now. Yeah. And the only thing that really was keeping him going was wondering what happened to his younger brother. Yeah. So it's kind of like, oh, he dies, but he's in his, like, 90s or whatever. Like, that was obvious. That he was gonna... Yeah. If anyone was gonna die, it was gonna be him. We knew that in the beginning. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It just would have been nice to see consequences. Like, people would have died. And maybe that could have been a bittersweet moment where, like, if, like, the devil's, like, looking out and they're all going to these, like, this funeral. And it's it's sad because so many people... There were lives that were lost, but the fact that they are joined together to mourn these deaths... I mean, that could have been... Like if Mrs. Collins had died but the, and the whole town yeah. turned out, but no one had a bad thing to say about her. And the devil has to watch all of this happen yeah. and see that the damage he did has no real... <clears throat> but even... Yeah, because it's just like, oh yeah, now she's fine. And now Jenny's fine. Oh, and now he'll never have to... That's not how real life works, though. Yeah, it just how convenient that now uh, she can tell her dad and her dad will believe her about Scott being a fucking pedophile and like... And also Scott confesses to the sheriff because he feels so guilty now about what he did. And I'm like, sure. Okay. That's not the comeuppance we want because pedophiles are the fucking worst and they all should die the most horrible deaths imaginable. So like, I was actually pretty happy when like, yeah, cool. He's going to hang from that tree for eternity with his neck broken. Yeah. I wanted that. For a horror novel, it kind of ended a little too sweetly. Even with like, oh, 
But Mary Catherine will might give birth to the Antichrist. I mean, you can make the assumption that she's gonna give birth to the, the Antichrist or to the nice man himself, or or that her kid's gonna be the next kid or something. The yeah. next key to the, yeah. the devil potentially getting out of hell. It's just uh... <sighs> can we can we talk about Mary Catherine for a second? Because like I will say, because I think you you were saying this too, said her character arc actually had a satisfying mm-hmm. conclusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I liked, I actually kind of liked that. I liked that she did the thing. And again, would have been more meaningful if she died, but. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That would have been dark. Like she died, but they were able to save the baby or whatever. Oh, oh, oh wow. That would have been something. But also I, the thing I want to bring up is like the part with the church felt so weird because as far as I could tell, the congregation at the church and her parents didn't have their mouth and eyes stitched shut or did they i don't know did mary catherine her parents didn't but doug did except he took his his stitches out right they no longer did she she noticed that like oh it looked like he he had scars like Like needle marks all around his mouth i'm i'm kind of disappointed too that there's that bit where doug has a turnaround and like helps her escape we just had that scene a little earlier where there was the fake out with the sheriff and Ambrose and they saved Christopher. So it, I'm like, I, when we get to that part with Doug, I was almost like, seen it. <laughs> yeah. So I guess props to Mary Catherine. That's my main thing. But, you know, but yeah, good. I'm sorry. You were talking about things you liked about it. The um, one thing I did like, like them, the fact that it was hell. And I'm like, you know what? I can see that. I can see the imaginary world being hell. Cause I even said like, there's this can't just be the imaginary world there has to be something more and the fact that it's hell i'm like yeah you know what i can see that there's a decently built cosmology here like the imaginary world is like a step is somewhere between the real world and hell because you have to go a level deeper a la inception to get to hell Mm -hmm. hell itself and the people who they saw like seemingly sleepwalking and screaming make it stop on the imaginary side are actively being tortured in the uh in hell I did kind of like the depiction of hell, I'll be honest. The idea that everybody who's being punished is pun- is literally punishing themselves. It's duplicates of themselves doing their most evil acts on themselves. Like mm-hmm. the man in the Girl Scout uniform or the guy in the hollow log or the, the cheating couple or, you know, all that stuff. The nice man being Satan, I was kind of like... that When I first read it, the book i was like hmm there's gonna be something off about the nice man yeah there's mm-hmm. gonna be something off about him but i mean they kept building it so he was so helpful and so good and then you actually see the the hissing lady physically do terrible things like it looked like she was actually trying to hurt christopher and stop him so when it did get to the point where it's like oh He's Satan, and he's been doing this this whole time. Like, but, huh? What? Mm-hmm. Okay. There are things I could forgive, and then there are things where I'm like, wait a minute, no, hold on. How do you, how do you explain this specific scene as the nice man manipulating it, not just something the hissing lady is doing? And yeah. also, like, she was controlling the mailbox people and the deer, or was that just the nice man letting her? Because I know that one of the the key points is that the nice man's not able to do as much until. Christopher actually imbues him with some of his godlike power on accident. Like he doesn't realize it because when he goes and rescues him in the treehouse, and that's when he starts controlling the deer, and that's when he starts controlling the mailbox people. But I how think. does he do that? Because like 
Didn't he get the powers from being in hell and... I thought it was just a trick because I thought there was a line where the deer, like, physically move over to the nice man's side. And he's like, ha, they weren't your deer army, they were mine all along. Like, didn't he say something along those lines? Yeah, because the hissing lady tried to ask the deer to go, go after him. And the deer are like, nope. And they basically say, don't you remember? They're, they're mine, not yours. And it's like, but why were they listening to her then? Why Did you just put on this whole show for this kid? I don't get this. Extreme grooming. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it was just like little twist after twist after twist. Where I, like When it was like, don't kill the hissing lady. I was like, I was like, fuck you. Don't talk to me to the audiobook. And I just like had to stop listening there for the rest of the night. One of the interesting parts is once it gets revealed that the nice man is the devil. Um, I, I'm not sure if you could hear this in the audiobook, but the capitalization changed in in the way he spoke like it would say he did this and but then it would be a lowercase e but an up or, or no, lowercase no, h but an uppercase e and it's all it started being a thing where everything was backwards where like everything was lowercase except the last letter of each word and then it'd be capitalized and i kept looking to see if there was like a hidden message in there and there's Same. not it's just a weird way of identifying when it's the nice man doing the talking now. Kind of like how he's talking in all lowercase at the very beginning. Huh. Like, there was a point where it was like the devil or, or uh, I forget how it was worded, but the the capitalized parts were H-I-M mm -hmm. at some point. I'm like, okay, but then it's not consistent throughout the rest of it. Like, I feel like it was supposed to be a juxtaposition to how whenever anything referring to God is as like him, the H is capitalized, mm -hmm. that, that sort of thing. Oh, is that the idea? Yeah, it's like it's like an antithesis. That's kind of oh. the impression I was getting. And then it just ran forward. Another book that frustrated me that did this, actually, something very similar to show a character's arc, was a book called uh, Ravnica War of the Spark, where the elder dragon Nicol Bolas starts assuming godlike powers, and slowly his words become more and more capital letters and uh, until it's all caps lock. And I'm like, this is dumb. I don't like this. I already didn't like the book anyway, but that was a part that I'm like, oh, come on. I just kind of rolled my eyes at. So that's also true here. Although it was a little bit of a hint to when the, you know, when the devil was involved in a situation, you'd see something where someone would talk and there'd be a random capital letter somewhere in there. And you're like, oh, yep, there's the devil. There he is. That's him. That's a clue to the reader. At the end of the um, book that we have, uh, there actually is an author Q&A. Oh, do we have to? <laughs> we were excited for them two episodes ago, but now I'm just like, mm. I, I won't go into depth. This is actually just, uh, he explains a couple of things, and I'm just going to basically, based off the Q&A that I read, explain a couple of things. Okay. So, for example, oh, why do they sew their mouths and eyes shut? And he says... Evil requires silence to spread. In the case of Milgrove, sewn eyes and mouths make it painfully easy to see no evil and speak no evil. So that's the idea behind the eyes and mouth shut. He did say that Stephen King was his biggest influence for this. <laughs> that explains why he didn't stick the landing at the ending. Stephen King famously cannot stick the landing on his endings. And then when asked about, like, okay, religion plays a huge role in imaginary friend, what's your religious background? And he says, I was raised Catholic. As I've gotten older, I've become more spiritual, but my definition of what spirituality is has changed. I now know people of all faiths, all religions. In the end, I believe that faith is as good as the person who practices it. 
basically being raised Catholic definitely influences mm-hmm. this. And uh, the hissing lady actually was inspired by his fourth grade teacher. He had a nightmare of that his fourth grade teacher cornered him on a street and hissed at him. Even though it was a teacher he actually liked, apparently. Mm-hmm. And then let's not forget, this book came out about 20 years after he wrote his first book, The Perks of Being a Walthar. So when they asked, which characters uh, in the book do you relate to most? And he said, when I started writing the book, I related to Christopher since he was based so much on my childhood growing up in Pittsburgh. By the end of writing the book, however, my wife and I had two kids. So Kate Reese became my touchstone. Which kind of makes sense when you think about it. Because Kate is one of the better written characters in the story. Yeah. Because in the beginning, if you, I feel like uh, Christopher's character is pretty well developed and we do focus on him quite a bit. But then as we get to near the end, Kate becomes the more likable character. Yeah. Do we want to read questions? Because I got a couple of questions and comments from our listeners. Hooray. That hooray sounded a little sad, but like genuinely like, okay, thank you for like suffering with us. Like hooray that you are here I, with us. Yeah, like, I didn't mean for it to sound that way. Are we excited to to keep talking about this book? No, but we love you guys for, for, for suffering with us and submitting questions to it. I mean, yeah. I was avoiding the, uh, the Discord because uh, I saw there were a lot of comments about the book coming in as people were finishing it. One, I, I don't know yet if my feelings towards the end of the book are just mine alone. So I didn't want to be influenced by anyone's uh, comments, but I'm going to go back afterwards and see what people were saying. Yeah, I I didn't mean for it to sound that sarcastic. I do yeah. appreciate it. What everybody has to say, if anything, it saves us having to think about stuff for a bit. Because I've already basically said my piece, so I'm happy to hear what others have to say. I did ask for questions and comments, and I did get uh, specific ones from two people. And I'm going to start with Springer's. Thank you, Bringer. He says, so we never got an answer on why deer? Still curious on that one. I mean, why not deer? I have feelings about deer, especially after <laughs> the only good Indians. So why, yeah, why not deer? Deer can be pretty evil. And then he said, I enjoyed the religion aspect towards the end. I do wonder since Mary is going to have the Antichrist or is the devil going to be reincarnated? I find it humorous that the Antichrist is going to be raised in a very strict Catholic family. <laughs> that sounds about accurate though. Think of like any of those omen type type movies generally the kid is raised in a very religious household i feel like if the antichrist was going to be born it would have to be in like a really religious household because that would give him the most power Mm -hmm. that is true it just that makes sense to me i don't know if i can explain it that makes sense no it makes sense to me i do kind of appreciate the potential opening there like that whole thing with mary Catherine's pregnancy did kind of leave an open door payoff thing. And I did kind of like that. Like I liked the openness of the ending, even if I didn't like the rest of the ending and how kind of saccharine it was. Mm -hmm. Like the idea that this child is going to be the devil's new backdoor to the world. How interesting that her story arc is probably the best handled throughout the whole book. (laughs) That's true. We were all, we were, I remember our discussions about Mary Catherine earlier and I was like, and now it's like, yeah. It's it's not my favorite story arc, but like compared to like everyone else's, I'm like, yeah, okay. It's probably probably the best one, but it doesn't mean I'm happy with it. No, no, but. I'm still mad about Emily Burdovich. Oh my gosh. That was the most disappointing anticlimactic like i was like are you we kept seeing her like picture on every single milk carton and i was like how is this gonna pay off we never really touch upon it or like there's never any hint to it and then it's like at the end and it's like oh it turns out she she would this is how she was killed and now the sheriff's going to let her family know so she can be in peace i'm like 
That's it? We're getting a paragraph and that's it? I was literally looking for a deus ex Emily Bertovich to show up, you know, like something like that. Also, can I point out that like Mary Catherine getting pregnant, like the nice man or Satan never took credit for that. So like, can we confirm it was his doing or not? And if it was his doing and he's going to use that as like a way into the real world, why didn't he do that sooner? That's a good question. That is a good question. I still don't quite understand the logic of that. Yeah, like, why is she pregnant? Like, we never got that explanation if it was, like, the hissing lady's doing or God's doing. Is it God's doing? Like, what? Because he he works so hard, like, every 50 years to get a kid and do all this whole mess when he could have easily just impregnated a girl and, like, there you go, that's my way into the real world now. There's a lot of theological questions, too, too, because, like, why isn't God more involved in this situation when the devil is literally this close to escaping hell? And this is always my problem with stories that are based in Judeo-Christian mythology. God's just kind of not really there, but when he does, it just feels weird for God to be there. Bringer also said, I find it wild that no one actually died, so I guess the town is going back to normal. Uh Uh-huh. Which is, I guess, probably what happened in previous cycles, too. Except David Olsen died. I guess what happened to break the fevers? I don't know. my, the impression that I got was, like, it did not get this bad any of the previous cycle i guess not i mean like okay so this this he's been doing this for what two thousand years is what it said mm-hmm. like how did he keep fucking up every time i don't understand the scope of the plan it could be like maybe none of the kids prior were strong enough until david or chris yeah that's kind of what i was thinking i'm gonna assume that's what it is because the book didn't tell us yeah like he tried grooming people in the past He'd convince someone to build a treehouse, they'd come into the world, and then he'd groom them for like six days to be God, but then the rest the rest didn't pan out. I don't know. And now Dan Urkelbot, <clears throat> he originally said this was going to be 500 words, but didn't want me to read this whole thing. So he shortened it. You're it's, a legend, Dan. <laughs> it's still long, but he, he he said, you don't have to read the whole thing, but you know what, I might just do it, because I think he's on the same page that you are, Sadai, or actually, he's probably on the same page that we all are, so. Yeah. So this last half of the book was a little rough for me. I thought there was visually a lot of great stuff going on in the story. The tree roots made from bodies and yarn. That, that actually is a cool one. Mrs. Collins ingesting paint and not dying. I mean, I like the fact she ingested paint. I don't, I think she should have died though. We don't agree on the not yeah. dying. Part. I don't agree on the not dying in general. The huge tree with all the tree houses hanging from it. That was a cool visual. Yeah. That was a really cool visual, actually. It, actually, the description where their, like, eyes are being sewn shut, and then just before that, and they're, like, looking at this, like, tree with all these tree houses, and then people hanging from it, and they, like, describe it like a Christmas tree. Which is very thematically appropriate. Yeah. It, that, that was nice. I actually did like that. Mm-hmm. That said, it all felt like things that were more meant for a visual medium rather than a novel. Which kind of makes sense, because let's not forget, he wrote his first book in 1999, this came out 20 years later, and in between that, he did a lot of screenwriting. Like, Mm -hmm. that's his bread and butter, is screenwriting and directing. Right. This was a slog for me. (laughs) By chapter 100, I was ready for this to be over. (laughs) The longer the book went, the more it felt like a history text, explaining exactly what happened in great detail Mm. from everyone's perspective Mm -hmm. over and over. Mm -hmm. Adding multiple chase scenes with the deer, mailbox people, the damned, crazy church people who didn't up the tension for me. It just Mm -hmm. felt bloated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
The, we are on the same page. Absolutely 100% there. Together. Yes. Actually, you know what? Thank you, Dan, for this comment because I could, I am too angry that I could not articulate what you are saying. That is exactly how I feel. It, it was a chase with no consequences. Yeah. And then a chase with no consequences. Mm -hmm. And then people getting injured with no consequences. And then something would change. And then there'd be another chase with no consequences. Yeah. It's like. The horror stopped landing for me by the end. This was tonally a little all over the place. Hearing about how many people were getting chunks torn out of them reminded me of watching JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. <laughs> <laughs> Too much of anything, even stuff I like, wears thin. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Again. You can only hear about people getting ripped apart so much before you realize that it's not actually going to make a difference to the characters. The motifs became grating to me. Every time the author was like, Hey guys, floods! You know, floods! Like the Bible! Get it? I cringed. Every mention of the blue moon took me further out of my immersion. If I can't enjoy blue moon anymore because of this book, if I have to recall this book every time I hear that song now, I am furious for the rest of my uh, life. Just play New Vegas. Yeah. Just I, play New Vegas. I, I, I'm, here's the good part. I'm always going to associate blue moon with two things, Greece and Fallout New Vegas, both of which that I am totally fine having an association with. Yes. Because the first time I actually heard Blue Moon was in Greece when I was a kid, because I saw Greece way too young in my life. Oh, and American Werewolf in London. I've not well. I've not seen American Blue Werewolf. Blue Moon is a big motif in that one, which okay. is awesome. That that's actually a film on my list of movies to see. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I saw that movie way too young. <laughs> it's a good movie. It's got such kick ass uh werewolf transformations though. Like holy crap. Yeah. I think I was like ten when oh, I no. saw that movie. Oh no. Nine or ten. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to my oh, aunt. Dear. Ooh, we should do a movie night. Movie night, absolutely. We blue should. Blue moon night. We should. We'll drink blue moon. Anything, just like find anything that has blue moon that is not this so okay. that we can just <laughs> reassociate that song to yeah. other things. Yeah. We're, we're going to watch American Werewolf in London and drink blue moon the beer. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> anyway, I don't know if the author was afraid we wouldn't get it or he was just very proud of the themes, but it was too much for me and began to feel indulgent. This book lost most of its subtlety halfway through, and I started feeling like I was being led on a leash rather than experiencing a story. Or like a thread. <laughs> I felt like I was on a tour bus. Some of the characters were charming, but I felt like there was too much attention paid to too many. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. I mean, even mm -hmm. I, I was noticing that like midway through during our last episode. Yeah. It just felt like there were too many characters we were trying to keep track yeah. of. But some of them, like, were left neglected at the end. Like, we got so much detail of, like, Chris's friends and their moms early in the beginning. And then we completely stopped. Like, they're just, like, briefly mentioned later on. Like, they're a complete afterthought later on. Like, even the scene with uh, the kids trying to defend the treehouse felt very, like, oh, yeah, I guess something should happen to them. Mm -hmm. kind of that's how it came across to me and i was disappointed because i wasn't that's part of the book that i was really enjoying in the beginning and then it just was kind of like, eh, okay that's that's still there also there are like some really deep-seated problems with the fact that at the very end it was just like and they're trying to like wrap everybody up and mrs henderson and mr henderson apparently fixed things up without addressing why mr henderson kept leaving wasn't the assumption that he was he wasn't straight and that's why he like yeah. I thought that was that was my assumption. That was my assumption too. So yeah, no, it was gross. The end I just was did, gross. There was no payoff. There was no payoff for anyone. Mm -mm. Not in a satisfying way. 
even even for like it felt like a pyrrhic victory like everybody just kind of walked away and everything like and everything's good there's just some resolutions i i don't mind like oh kate now is married to the sh- going to marry the sheriff and they're gonna have a family like i'm good with that but there should have been deaths that happened that would have stayed long lasting i think scott yeah scott should have remained dead Mrs. Collins should have remained dead because what a great way to mm-hmm. die. Uh, Jerry? Jerry should have died. Jerry should have been run over by the convoy following them. Yes. That, that would have been, been awesome. I, I just love that. It, it's, a, it's such a good scene, too. It's like, he's like, you've been fucking him. Out. Gets In case, like, bye, Jerry. Bye. It's beautiful. <laughs> What'd be amazing, too, is, like, he's still alive, but then as soon as this whole nonsense with the devil ends, his pulp remains on the side of the road finally just expire. You know? Like, yeah. <laughs> everybody who got an injury that they couldn't survive just dies. And I would like it, maybe, if, um... Okay, Scott died, but maybe, like, Jenny's now going to therapy, and it's like, this is something she's struggling with, like... This is still all horrific shit that happened. Or maybe Mrs. Henderson finally leaves her husband, but it's still like Like Miss Henderson should have decided for herself, nah bitch, I'm gone. Yeah. I'm taking myself on a weekend trip. And Mr. Henderson, maybe he comes to terms with the fact that he is gay and he mm-hmm. never should have dragged her into this and this is all forced. And so he lets her live her life and he apologizes and goes to live his. And there's there's not maybe not everything is healed, but there's at least understanding between them. With all the horrific shit that happens, it shouldn't be a saccharine yay, everybody's happy in the end. There should be some bittersweet conclusions. That's why there's no horror at the end. Yeah. Um, So anyway, uh, Deanne continues about the characters. Not that I was confused by it, but it was just too much. The biblical stuff took me out of the book's world. I feel like this story had a lot of similarities to a King novel, and King is known for botching his endings, mm-hmm. but I would have preferred a batshit explanation or no explanation to the God versus de- devil narrative. I think the book tried to be about everything. Maybe it succeeded, and that's just not my cup of tea. I prefer subtlety, like this book had in the opening chapters. Mm-hmm. Like this book had with Emily Bertovich. Ber- one of the motifs that felt subtle and effective. I would have liked more of that and less chase scenes and suicide clowns. Again, and then the way that it's so handled at the end. I, I, I'm with them there. It's all yeah. like it. It only suddenly came up, and I'm like wondering, oh my gosh! Like apparently she's definitely important because they keep bringing her up, but it's all so subtle. I wonder what's going to happen. And the fact is, like a hand wave. Like yeah, I felt hand waves. Absolutely, I felt hand waves. As a writer, I deeply admire the efforts of the author and the many ways in which he executes his writing well. I respect the efforts of anyone who can construct a cohesive novel or narrative this intricate. However, I also admire restraint, of which the novel had little by the end. (laughs) So there's my word vomit wall of text. Please don't feel obligated to read all of it if you'd rather not. I just had a lot of complex thoughts about this one. And I had to read the whole thing because... It's not an obligation. It's because we really respect what you have to say, Dan. And mm-hmm. uh, you mm-hmm. put it very well. Mm-hmm. Whenever he does give us his thoughts or ask questions, they're good ones. And it kind of mirrors our own thoughts. Yeah. And, yeah. But it, he says it so well. Yes. So thank you, Dan. Thank it, you, Dan. And thank you again uh, to Bringer as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also want to, you know, shout out, uh, you know, Thanks Way and Username 
for being part of the discussion in general on there. Mm -hmm. It's been it's been fascinating and it's kind of fun seeing people come together to talk about the things that we're reading because now it really this far in, it really is starting to feel like a book club. Yeah. When we, when I see the discussion on the discord and like knowing that people are reading along with us, it, it's very much what, like what we wanted when we started out. It's like, we have like a fun little book club. I'm not like, I love that we can read, uh, listeners comments and like just thoughts on the book because I want to hear that. And I, I, cause we are a book club. So yeah. I would love to see more of that, of like being able to like read more of a listener comments on here. So join us. If you haven't already, join us. We did have the option, maybe a year ago, that if you wanted to record an audio commentary of like just some quick thoughts on what you thought of whatever the read was for the month, that we would uh, put that into the podcast as well, if listeners wanted to record their own quick thoughts on it. Absolutely. If you want to record any thoughts or questions or opinions on you have on any works that we read, Feel free to email it to us um, at darklylitpodcast at gmail.com or actually send it to us through Twitter as well. We also will accept it through midnightmarinera at gmail.com. We always check that one as well. Do we have any final thoughts about this book? I'll say that if if I didn't know already that our next book was is, was going to be a super quick read, I would demand a month off. <laughs> I would demand a break after this. I concur. Because this is, I, I've had moments where we're reading a book and I'm like, man, I don't want to be doing this, like where I want to stop reading. But like, this is the first time where like in this book, I was like, I don't want to do this podcast anymore. Like that book got me to Aww. that point. <laughs> but no, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just ready to move on. Because <laughs> I'm glad the one thing we didn't do as we originally planned was read this for one month, take a break, go back to this another month. I'm glad mm. we just finished this in three months because if we I would have taken a break, I probably would have never returned to it. Ditto. So I think uh, the next couple months, um, uh, we do have our next month one planned and it's a short one. It's a, a novella and I'll explain what it is in a little bit. But I think the next couple ones, let's do some, I think we'll do some shorter ones do some short stories, maybe um, go with some novellas, maybe do something a bit more lighthearted. I'm not saying like goosebumps, but... Uh, something fun and spooky? Yeah, let's do a fun, spooky one. Yeah. I don't need fun. I don't know. I will, like, I will, one short, next one's short. Yes, I need that, something short. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I need fun and spooky. I just need something that I'm going to enjoy. Yeah. I want to feel good at the end of the book, please. <laughs> Our next book that we're going to be reading is called Nothing But Blackened Teeth by Cassandra Kaw. Uh, it, it is a novella. Um, the audiobook is only about three hours. Nice. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a nice uh, change of pace after Imaginary Friend. After 24 hours and 32 minutes. Jeez. Oh, I do want to say that the narration for the audiobook was phenomenal. Uh, the woman who does it. Uh, she did a great job. That's fantastic. She did like voices for everyone, so much like emphasis and just like acting and like like she was great. She's the best <laughs> part of the whole book. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad that there's a, there was another grace there in that respect. 
If you like what you hear, um, check out our other podcasts on the Creative Horror Network at creativehorror.com. We just released our newest podcast, The Jameson Tapes. Uh, the newest episode came out last month, so give that a listen. I believe the next episode will be out a day or two after this episode comes out. Awesome. I am actually looking forward to it because the, the first episode was, that was so much fun to listen to. Alan is and Bismi watching The Bloody Pit of Horror while drunk. <laughs> We're uploading all our old episodes uh, for Darkly Lit onto the our YouTube channel, um, also titled Creative Horror. We're eventually, we're going to have our whole backlog up on YouTube, uh, but we're doing it little by little, so that way we don't screw with the YouTube algorithm. Every other week, basically, is yeah. when we're uploading it, so it's uh, kind of aligns with undercooked analysis that one week is undercooked analysis one week is darkly lit so if you feel like re-listening to old episodes you can listen to them there now i have no, I, I i have no other words can i just go sew my eyes and mouth shut and... no no that, that that defeats the purpose let's just go somewhere where there's no deer like i think i'm done with deer like in fiction forever unless it's alistair from hasbun hotel <laughs> <laughs> oh dear Good evening, intrepid listeners. This is the Pasta Shade, the host of Midnight Marinera, and this podcast is part of CreativeHorror.com, a network of podcasts and creators working together to build a constructive community of horror fans. For more content like this, visit us at CreativeHorror.com. <laughs>